0: Thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our special guest speaker encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Well, hey City Church, my name is Pastor Witt George. I'm here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the plan was I was gonna be with you this weekend, but obviously that didn't work out. It's been a crazy year. But this is the next best thing. I, I recorded this sermon a few weeks ago for our church. It's called "The Fruitful Heart," and I wanted to share it with you guys this weekend. Uh, I wished I could have come to visit you. I was looking forward to it. I've been to Canada a few times, never been to Ontario, and uh, never been to Toronto area. And I was looking forward to it. I was in uh, Niagara by the Lake one time, and I, I looked across the lake. It was a clear day, and I could faintly see the skyline of Toronto. So I was close one time, but never been there. I would love to visit. I look forward to being Well, hopefully see you guys physically one day in the future. But until then, I hope this message blesses you this weekend. It's a sermon titled, The Fruitful Heart. God bless you guys. Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us wherever you happen to be joining from on this, uh, this weekend. It's a crazy, crazy week. I saw this, this meme this week that kind of really describes... Just what life is feeling like right now, I'll show it to you. It says, me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. And that's a bit of what uh, right now in this current moment feels like. It's like, man, 2020 has been off to a crazy, crazy start. And as we just think about how to process the season and how to come through this season, the sense I have as a pastor is that we shouldn't waste it that in the middle of adversity, there is opportunity. And that's why we're in this series that we started last week called Stronger. Because I really believe that right now is not a time to shrink back. It's a time to lean in and gain strength and actually grow in this season. Because I don't want to be the same person that I was going into this season. I, I want to come out of this stronger. And I know you do too. So we're going to jump in today talking about how do I grow in my faith? How do I get stronger? And what I want to do is give you a spiritual discipline. In fact, if you'll hang with me to the very end, I'm going to give you a spiritual discipline for uh, how, we're, how we're going to respond in, in this time that I think will grow you spiritually. And, um, uh, but as I jump in today, I want, to, I want to think about some words that Jesus said in response to a question. He was asked this question. What's the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? You know, the Old Testament is filled with hundreds of commandments, and Jesus was asked to summarize those commandments. What's the greatest one? If you're going to kind of rank order them, like what's the top one? And he responds by quoting something that the Jewish people call the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then he responds with this. He says this in uh, Mark chapter 12. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And I think he's giving us a roadmap for how we respond in this season. If you want to grow stronger, if you want to develop your faith, I think it looks like this. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so our roadmap for this series is based on this verse. We're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to look at how do I love the Lord my God with all my heart? That's what we're talking about today. How do I love the Lord my God with all my soul? That's where we'll go next week. Uh, We'll talk about how to love the Lord your God with all your mind. And finally, how to love the Lord your God with all your strength. And kind of the idea is that we'll give you a spiritual practice every week so that you can put these things into practice. If you think of them like a workout, you go into a workout room, you get a, you know, an exercise that you're going to do. It's meant to strengthen a particular muscle group You know, in the same way when you go into uh, a workout, you're working specific muscles at specific times. In other words, if I'm doing a bench press, I am, you know, not working my legs. If I'm doing a squat, I'm not working my shoulders. Well, Jesus divides us up into these four categories, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and we want to have different exercises or practices, spiritual growth practices that go along with each of these areas that Jesus says we need to love the Lord our God in each of these areas. So we're going to walk through these. And today I want to talk about how to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your heart. I want to talk about two thoughts. One, I want to talk about the position of your heart, its significance in your life from a biblical perspective. And then secondly, we'll talk about the condition of your heart, the position of your heart, and the condition of your heart. So let's jump in and talk about the position of your heart. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart? Well, it's important that we understand what is the heart from a biblical perspective, because the way that we think about the heart from a kind of modern uh, Western context, which is the culture that we live in, is different than the biblical culture. So to our mind, modern Western Americans, we think of human beings is sort of divided between head and heart. And you could also include body and soul and spirit in there, although those for us don't have as much significance as head and heart do. We spend most of our time thinking of ourselves kind of divided in half. And it looks something like this. The head contains your logic, right, your rational thought, your decision making. The head is where you, know, you weigh all the factors, you, you list out the pros and cons, and you come to a rational, Uh, thoughtful decision. The heart, on the other hand, is a little bit more fuzzy. The heart is where the emotions lie. It's where our feelings come from. It's where our dreams emerge from. So we say things like, follow your heart, because we're thinking about sort of the dreams and longings of the heart, but we recognize that the head is where sort of the rational thought comes from. We think of the heart primarily as a container for feelings and dreams, and it's something that we think is valuable, but it's probably not something that we would advise most of us to really rely on all of that often. It's something that's good to have, but your head is where you want to kind of stay and make most of your decisions, because after all, it's where your rational thought comes from, your reasoning comes from, right? It's where we make wise and thoughtful decisions. When we think about the heart and we think about people who are emotional, we say, oh, th- th- this is someone who wears their heart on their sleeve. Or when we think about somebody who's maybe just extra compassionate, we say, they have a big heart. Um, when someone goes through a nasty divorce or breakup, we might say, they have a broken heart. Interesting, we don't say they have a broken mind, we say they have a broken heart. And this is because we understand the heart to be kind of the seat of the emotions. It's where all of our thoughts or all of our feelings come from. And so we live in this kind of divide, sort of head and heart, head and heart. This emerged out of 17th century French philosophy, believe it or not, which reason that human beings were primarily thinking creatures that the most fundamental thing about us were our, our capacity for reason and thought. And it's what happened with the Age of Enlightenment. In fact, this whole kind of way of thinking gave way to what we know as the Age of Enlightenment, where, you know, the study of mathematics, the study of science, it's a really beautiful thing, but it's had a huge impact on us and on our culture, so much so that we see ourselves as kind of divided beings. Logic and understanding over here, feelings over here. And so we like to think of ourselves as rational creatures. We're making decisions based off of sound logic, good reasoning. You know, we've, we've weighed all the facts and we came to a conclusion. We say things like, I had no choice. This is what I had to do. You know, we, we research everything before we do it. We live in an age of information where information is available to us all over the place. We can, uh, you know, find out about anything with just, you know, the, the, the phone in our pocket, right? We've got access to all the information we would ever need. And that's because we crave information because we think that the world sort of functions on information, right? We, we get information, we take it into our minds, and then we make logical, rational decisions. But the Bible does not, does not posit mankind as being a sort of giant bobblehead, right? A brain that has a body and a spirit over here, or maybe a heart over here. But the Bible sees the heart in a completely different way. It's not just this container for the emotions. The Bible sees the heart like this. And this is a picture of a natural spring. And if you know anything about a natural spring, the way a natural spring works is that under the ground, there's this huge source of water. And so that everything you see on the external, everything you see above the ground, all this water that's flowing down through here is... The result of everything that's happening underneath the surface. And so when Jesus speaks about the heart, he's not speaking about this container just for emotions, this place where your feelings and dreams reside. Jesus is saying that your heart is the most foundational, central thing about who you are. From a biblical perspective, everything, your thoughts, your, your, your desires, your logic, your reason, all of it flows from your heart. This is why Jesus would say this uh, in, in Matthew chapter six. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what he's saying is that uh, your money is linked to your heart. The way you, you spend your money is an indication of where your heart already is. In other words, everything flows From the heart, Uh, he would also say this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, everything that happens externally originates with a desire in the heart. Now this is so cross-grained to the way we like to think of ourselves because we like to think of ourselves as reasonable, rational, logical people making sound decisions based on facts. We take in the information, we look at all of the factors, we weigh it and we make a a dispassionate, unemotional, unbiased decision, we came to the only logical conclusion that one could come to. Missing the fact that actually our decisions are determined By our desires. I want to say that again. Your decisions are determined by your desires. There's a fascinating study of a man who uh, sustained an injury to his brain. And he actually damaged the part of his brain that neuroscientists believe housed the emotions the emotional center of the brain. What was interesting is that as he recovered from his injuries and he was able to start to function again, he found that everything was much the way that it used to be. He could reason. He had his capacity for logic. He could take in all kind of information. Here's what was fascinating. He was unable, though, to make decisions. And this Puzzled the scientific community because for years we'd thought that the mind makes these sort of dispassionate rational decisions, and that the emotions really don 't weigh into it all of that much but here 's what was fascinating about this man is that he was able to weigh out all the pros and cons he was able to think about okay here 's like the, the the list of all the factors, yet he could not make a decision because the part of his mind that contained the emotions, the part that we would normally attribute to the heart had been damaged, he was unable to make a decision. What does this mean? Well, it lines up exactly with the biblical narrative. It means that our actions, our decisions flow from the heart. Meaning that the things you desire are what drive you. We like to think that if we just have all the right information, we would make the right decision. But come on, come on. You've lived long enough by now to understand that that isn't true. How many of you, you you found yourself in a situation where uh, somebody has given you the right advice, maybe you read an article, you understood what you should do, you just found yourself unwilling or unable to do it. How many of us have been to a doctor and had the doctor say, hey, you have high blood pressure, you need to cut back on, on the fatty foods that you're eating, or hey, you have, uh, you know, you got high cholesterol and you need to stop eating so many cheeseburgers, and we go, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, to the doctor, and then we go right out from the doctor's office and go over to Brahms and get a cheeseburger. How many of us, that's our story? This happens over and over and over again. It puzzles the scientific community. How is it that people can be told, you know, if you keep eating this way or keep doing this or keep, or you forget to take your pills or you forget to have this injection, you will die. And yet we fail to take care of ourselves. Why? It's not because we don't know any better, far from it. We do know better. In fact, we know more today than we've ever known before about the human body and the way things work. It's not a matter of not knowing It's a matter of not desiring. The heart leads the way. And for so many of us, we think, well, if I want to change, the way I do that is I need to gather and collect information, get all the right information, and when I have all the facts and I understand how everything's supposed to work, then I'll make good decisions. It's actually not the case. The way that it works is it starts with the heart. Your decisions are determined by, by your desires, and your desires originate in your heart. You're not fundamentally a thinking being. You're a desiring being. This is why the book of Proverbs then warns us. It says this, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do. Every action, every choice, every purchase, every business decision, every relational decision, every Facebook post, everything you do flows from the heart. So, the biblical understanding of the heart is that it's the very center and core of who we are, and our hearts are driven by our desires. What we desire, we pursue. And this is why the book of Proverbs says, guard your heart. This is why in John chapter 1, the very first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples is a question. And it's a question that I think Jesus would ask all of us this morning. These two disciples who had been disciples of John the Baptist, different John than the John that wrote the book of John, they're following Jesus. And the very first words that are recorded for us, significant words that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John that Jesus says come to us in the form of this question. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked them, what do you want? What do you want? What is it that you're after? Can I tell you something? Whatever you desire, whatever it is that you want, it owns you. It controls you. It will drive you your decisions, it will drive your choices. This is why Jesus said the fundamental thing about loving God, the first thing you need to know if you wanna grow stronger spiritually in your walk with God is that you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart because everything you do flows from your heart. Now the second thing we wanna talk about today is the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart, what is the condition? If I was to ask you, how's your heart? What's the condition of your heart? How would you respond? It's an important question. When you go see a physical doctor and they check up on your heart, it's an important checkup because your heart control, if the heart goes out, everything else goes out. It's the same thing spiritually. The heart drives everything. So what's the condition of your heart? And Jesus gives us four conditions of the heart that I want us to look at today. And here's where this comes from. You find it in Mark chapter 4. We also find it in Matthew chapter 13. We find it in the, the book of Luke. Jesus gives what's called the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us this story, this parable of a farmer who goes out to sow seed. And he said, the seed that gets sowed gets sowed along four different kinds of soil. The first soil is the hard path. The seed falls on the hard path. He says, the birds come down and eat the seed. He said, the second kind of soil the seed falls on is shallow, rocky soil. And the plant springs up, but the sun comes out. And the heat of the sun scorches the plant and it dies. So the third kind of soil is soil where the seed falls amongst thorns. So the plant grows up, but it never becomes what it could become because it's choked out by the thorns. And then finally he said, but there's a fourth soil, and that's the fruitful soil. The soil where the seed grows up, it becomes a plant, and it thrives. What Jesus is describing here are four heart conditions. And fortunately for us, he gives us the explanation for this parable. We want to walk through this as Jesus lays out a roadmap for us to kind of assess, right? As you would go to a doctor and get a heart checkup, Jesus is giving us a heart checkup this morning. What's the condition of your heart? We're going to walk through four conditions and see what Jesus has to say about each of these four conditions. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this, the hard heart. Jesus says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. If we're talking about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with the very center of who you are, with your your deepest longings and desires. Jesus said, There's some of us who we're not capable of loving the Lord our God with all our heart because our hearts are hardened. Our hearts are hardened to the gospel. Our hearts are hardened to the reality of who God is. Have you been in this position yourself? Do you know what that feels like? Do you know somebody? Maybe you have a son or a daughter, or maybe a brother, sister, father, mother, co worker, aunt, uncle you know somebody, their heart is hardened to the gospel. When you wanna talk to them about Christ or anytime religious things come up, they just get testy, they don't like to talk about it, they're not interested in it, they maybe have heard it all before, they don't wanna talk, it's just like they're shut off, they're closed off to the gospel. I had a friend like this who I grew up with, he went to church here, his name was Isaac, and um, we grew up together went to church together, but when we became adults, our paths kind of separated. He went his way, I went my way. And Isaac ended up walking away from his faith, so much so that you couldn't even talk to him about the Lord without him kind of putting his his dukes up. What was happening? His heart was hardened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul uh, describes for us what this looks like and how this works. He says this, the God of this age Has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, Paul is saying, look, people who are unbelievers, people who have a hardness of heart, they have no sensitivity to the gospel, no sensitivity to the things of God, those are not people who are just. difficult in and of themselves he's saying the god of this world there's a spiritual force that has blinded their eyes that was exactly what was going on with my friend Isaac there was a spiritual force that had blinded he grew up in the church had a family who were devout followers of Jesus but it just never got through for him until he came to a moment where he came to the end of himself And I'll never forget his sister, Angie, who was on staff here at the time at Church on the Move. She called me one day and she said, "Whip, please pray for Isaac. He's in a really dark place. And I remember being right out here in the parking lot, driving in my car when I got that phone call. And I I hung up the phone and I prayed for Isaac. And I said, Lord, I'm praying for him. And I'm praying this right here, 2 Corinthians 4.4, that the God of this world would take his hands off of Isaac's eyes so that he might see. In fact, I said, Lord, I pray for his spiritual eyes to be opened so that that he might see who you are. That's how we pray for people who have a hard heart. It blew me away because just a few days later, Isaac came to radical faith in Christ and his life has been completely, I'm talking about completely transformed and changed. He just sent me an email. He just moved from Tulsa to Atlanta, and sent me an email just thanking me for my friendship and prayers. And it's crazy to just have this email laced with talk about God and love for Christ from a friend who at one point was so far from God, he would not even mention Jesus in that way. Crazy, but that's what happens. Hard heart. Some of us have hard hearts. And the way that we get past that is we pray and we ask God to soften that heart, to open our spiritual eyes so that we might see. The second kind of soil or heart that we see Jesus gives us this heart condition is the shallow heart. He says this, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. So when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now when we talk about a shallow heart, we're not just talking about someone who's superficial, right? Someone who's, you know, only obsessed with image and clothes and sort of their appearance. Although that is some measure of what's being talked about here. When we talk about shallowness, we're talking about that this, this is a person who never really allows the gospel to go deep. They never allow Jesus into every aspect and corner of their lives. And I see this happen all the time with people. They pursue God. They love God, but only to a point. We can talk about God, but there's certain corners or aspects of my life. Maybe it's an anger issue. Maybe it's a family of origin deal. Maybe it's a, a father wound. Maybe it's a I don't know an abuse that happened to me in my past. Maybe it's a, an addiction that I'd rather not talk about, or a secret sin that nobody else knows. We we have a relationship with God, but. It's only to a certain level. It doesn't go deep enough to where we're willing to uncover everything and say, God, have access to all of me. And the reason I think why that doesn't happen is because, and this is me just being honest with you as a pastor, it is painful to give God complete access. There are parts of our lives we would rather not open up. There are conversations we would rather not have. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've made poor decisions, and when I make those poor decisions, I'd rather not even look at them. I don't know if you're like this, but I'd rather not even look at the credit card balance. I'd rather just act like it's not even there. Just just tell me what the minimum payment is and let me pay it, because I don't even want to know the foolish choices and decisions that I've made. I certainly don't want to talk to anybody else about it. I'd just rather keep that hidden in the dark. That's the nature of sin. That's the nature of humanity, that when we make Stupid choices, we feel shamed because of them, and then we therefore want to hide them. And in hiding them and then in enclosing them off, you know what happens? We never give, give God access to those parts of our lives, and so therefore we are never healed. Friends, I've seen this story play out time and time again with friends, close friends who had secret sin in their life that blew up their home, blew up their marriage, blew up their family because they did not feel like they could really, truly trust God with what was going on inside. What is this? This is a shallow heart. And what God wants, what Jesus wants, he wants to set you free In fact, in the book of Galatians, it says that it is for freedom that Christ has come. It is for freedom that he has set us free. There's a freedom in Christ where we can be liberated from all of our past, all of our sin, everything that has held us back for all these years. We can be free from that. And I got to tell you from personal experience, it's incredible. I lived for so long in my life with a secret porn addiction. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't want anybody to know about it because I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And my enemy had told me that I was the only one who dealt with this. And so I I, I hid that from everybody until one day I decided that the only way to be free with this is to talk about it with trusted friends and to bring it out into the light and say, God, I can't. Fix this on my own. These days, I talk about that all the time, and people are always like, wow, it's amazing that you're willing to talk about who you were, and that you're willing to talk about the fact that you had a porn addiction. And yeah, I talk about it, and let me tell you why. Because I want you to see how that when we bring things into the light, there's freedom, That I don't have to be chained to my past anymore. That I don't have to put on some show for you to prove to you that I'm perfect so that I can minister to you. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's out of my pain, out of my sin, out of my weakness that I am strong. That's why I stand up here and talk openly about who I've been and the bad choices that I've made. But that can only happen when we give God full access. Full access. And so we want him to go deep. That's what has to happen with the shallow heart. Third kind of heart that uh, Jesus talks to us about is this, the crowded heart, the crowded heart. And he says this, the seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, that's significant, and here's another one, and the deceitfulness of wealth. Let me just pause for a second. Nothing wrong with money. Money in and of itself is not a problem. But money can be deceitful. And this is because the human heart is deceitful. Money in and of itself is not deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. And so Jesus says the cares and concerns of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Now I want you to just stop and think about it. We live in the richest nation that has ever existed on planet earth. From the beginning of humankind until now, there's never been a group of people with more access to more money than you and I. You may not feel rich, but in comparison to the rest of the world and in comparison to the rest of humanity, throughout time, we are loaded. Do we really think then that this is not a problem for us? Or could it be that we're struggling with this, the deceitfulness of wealth? So he says, the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word making it unfruitful. What are we talking about here? What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about having a crowded heart. What is this? A crowded heart is a heart with competing loves. It's a heart with competing allegiances. Best way I could describe it to you is to think about a polygamist. Polygamist. You understand the whole concept of polygamy, right? One guy, multiple wives. Have you seen this? There's shows about this kind of thing, documentaries you'll see where uh, you know, one dude has like five wives. I've never been able to understand how a man is able to convince beautiful, intelligent women that they should be one of his wives. It seems to me that all the advantage is for the man and all the disadvantage is for the woman, and yet it happens. It's rare, but it happens. And so you get these women competing for the affection of the husband. And I think this is a little bit of a picture of what our hearts look like in this condition. We say we love God, but he's just one of many loves that we have. And so we kind of have God, but we also have our career. We have God, but we also have this pursuit of I don't know, status. We have God, but we have this vision of happiness, our vision of happiness. We have God, but we have this vision of what our relationships will look like. God's in there, all right, but he, he just exists amongst all of our other lovers. You know, you go back and read through the Old Testament, one of the interesting things that you find over and over and over and over again is that God describes himself to his people as a spurned lover, I would challenge you this week, read Ezekiel 16. Listen to the severity of the language that God uses when he talks to his people about what it is to be spurned by them and how he feels. And he describes it in a romantic uh, metaphor. We're in a romantic relationship. I cannot think of one little girl ever who has ever lived who, when she was very young, dreamed of one day being one of the wives of some dude. Nobody wants that. We want monogamy. We want want allegiance. We want loyalty. We want, I want to be with you and you be with me. And we live happily ever after. And this is what God wants. God wants your heart and he wants an undivided heart given completely and fully to him. And yet, I think if we're being honest, I think a lot of people in this part of the world, we claim allegiance to Christ, but he's truly just one of many loves that we have in our heart. Listen to this quote from John Piper. This is sobering, but it's true. He said this, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. Now, this next sentence I read a couple of months back. In fact, pre-COVID, I'd read this. And this statement has stayed with me since the day I read. I cannot shake this, and I hope it arrests you in the same way it has arrested my heart. He says this, and people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. We have this idea that heaven is essentially the removal of all of our problems, And if you can envision a heaven where your life is perfect and where you have everything you want and if God is there, great. If he's not there, great. This is not the picture of heaven because that's not what heaven is. Listen to what he says. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. That may be a surprise to you. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Friends, the whole point of Jesus coming was not to punch your ticket so that you could go to paradise when you die. The whole point of Jesus coming is so that you could be reconciled to God. Meaning be in relationship with God. If your greatest desire is not for God, then what was the point of Jesus coming? And so when we talk about the crowded heart or when Jesus refers to the crowded heart, he's speaking of competing desires and allegiances where we say, I love God, yes, but I also love other things. And so when Jesus asked the disciples in John chapter one, it's such an appropriate question. What do you want? Because you were made and you were designed to want and desire God above all else. He was meant to be your heart's desire. That's who you're designed to be. That brings me to the fourth heart condition. and Jesus describes it as the fruitful heart. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart is the heart that that realizes its potential. It, It functions as it's supposed to function. It becomes what it was meant to become. And it says, Jesus kind of qualifies it. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And that word is correct, right? It's in the scripture, but it it kind of brings to our minds a sort of cognitive mental understanding. I like the way that it's, it's rendered in Mark chapter four. It's a little different. Mark chapter four, Jesus says it like this. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word. And then I like this phrase, accept it. They accept it. That word "accept it," in the original language means to long for, to desire. And this is what we've been talking about all day is to love the Lord your God with all your heart is to desire God above all else. And so when Jesus is connecting this fruitfulness, you wanna be fruitful in this season, you wanna grow stronger in this season, how does that happen? You desire God above all else else. And what happens is a fruit that starts emerging out of your life. Things start to shift and change, and you become who you were designed and created to be. But it happens when you see God for who he really is. You desire him above all else. Let me give you this principle. And this principle will change your life. I know because it's changed mine. And so I hope you're you're leaned in, paying it. If you're cooking right now, making breakfast, kids are running, just tell the kids to be quiet. Turn the the skillet down just for a second or whatever. Just just lean into this for a second because this is the thing today. If you hear nothing else, this is the main thing I want you to hear. If you want to change your circumstances, see God as useful, right? In other words, things in your life, aren't going like you want them to, what do you do? You run to God and you say, God, I need help. And God comes through, and do you know that that's who our good God is? He he, he works to bring about change in your circumstances, your situation, but if you want to change you, find God beautiful. You wanna change your situation, see God as useful you wanna see some transformation, you wanna become a different person, you wanna become more like Christ, find God to be beautiful. What does that mean, to find God to be beautiful, to desire Him in that way? I think about my wife, Heather. I would consider her to be beautiful. And um, when I think about Heather and her beauty, I think about how attractive she is to me. Not just physically, but who she is. I mean, I guess if I think about it, I could describe Heather as useful, although I would never say that out loud. Honey, you're so useful to me. It just feels really self-serving. But if I say, you're so beautiful, it means something more. When I travel, or we travel together with friends, We're with a couple, or maybe we're out to dinner with several couples, and I just get to sit back and watch. I'm an introvert, so sometimes I don't engage in all the conversation. I just find a quiet place, a corner, and just sit and observe people. And, and Heather's an extrovert, and I watch her engage with people, and I watch her smile, and I watch the way she moves. And I just, I, I, I love her manner. I love I love the way she is with people. And I think to myself, I I truly do, I think this, and I tell her this, I say, if I wasn't married, I would be watching you thinking, I need to know this woman. I like this lady. Who is this? I'm attracted to her. And it's so much more than just physical beauty. Yes, she's physically beautiful, but she is beautiful to the point that I just desire to be around her I want to be with her. I want to be near her. And that's what it means to find God as beautiful. It's not just a physical, sexual attraction. It's to desire him above all else. And here's what happens. When you desire God above all else, you become like him. You know what I've noticed? I I remember seeing this when I was younger. I would see married couples together and I would notice that they were rather alike. Like husband and wife, I would see them. They looked alike. They they, they had a sort of similarity to them. And I always thought that was odd. I've now learned that we end up... uh, mating with people, marrying people that we are alike. And, and actually through the process of being in relationship with each other, we become like each other. I've become more like Heather since we got married. In fact, a lot more like Heather. And she's become more like me. We, we truly do become like what the Scripture says, one flesh. And that's because you, you become like the, the object of your desire. The people the person you find to be beautiful. And that's what happens with God. When you learn to desire God. See, I went 30 years of my life and I only saw God as useful. I prayed when I had a need. I cried out to him if something was wrong, but otherwise I was good. It's only when I saw God as beautiful that I changed. I became a different person. And so when Jesus says, love the Lord your God, with all your heart. He's meaning above all else, treasure God, treasure that relationship, find find him to be most beautiful. I wanna give you a spiritual practice, told you I would. So I wanna give you a, a practice, something that you can do physically, a concrete action you can do this week to put into practice to draw closer to God and to see him as beautiful. And this comes out of my own journey and walk with God. It's funny I say that, walk with God, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm gonna ask you this week to walk with God. I'm gonna ask you, if you can, every day this week to take a walk with God. This is how I've been starting my day for a while now. I wake up in the morning, I go for a walk. I walk four miles, it takes me an hour to walk four miles. And in that hour, I do not bring my phone I have no headphones. I'm not listening to music. I'm not saying you can't, I'm just saying I don't want any distractions. I wanna be walking with God. Because when I'm walking, there's nothing else for me to do. I've tried praying for an hour straight before in my office, it it doesn't work. I get distracted, I can't sit still, I have to move around, I like walking. When I walk for an hour, I can converse with God. I pour my heart out to God. I pray for an hour, something that years ago I would have thought was never possible for me, but it's happening because I'm walking with God. And so I wanna invite you, if you can, to walk with God. Now, for some of you, maybe a walk with God is a metaphor for you. Maybe you need to sit still. Heather is like, I can't go for a walk. I'll get too distracted. So she sits on the back porch and she spends her time with God there. But I'm gonna challenge many of you to go on a physical walk. If you don't have a better idea, go on a physical walk and spend time talking to God. And what what might that look like? Well, here's what you could say. God, I'm here to spend time with you. You might say, God, I want to desire you more. You might say, God, I have a shallow heart. Help me to open up the parts of my life that I need to give you full access to. You might say, God, I have a crowded heart. God, I'm not sure I desire you first. God is, God longs to hear that. He just wants to have a heart to heart conversation with you. And so this week, I'm gonna challenge you every day to take that walk with God and to spend that time with Him and watch and see what happens if your heart doesn't draw closer to God's heart. Now, as we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to come near to God. Some of you, you might be ready right now to say, I have a shallow heart or I've had a hardened heart or I've had a crowded heart. I want to have a fruitful heart. Now is the time for me. I want to give my life fully and completely to Christ, I want to invite you right wherever you're at to pray a prayer with me just to ask God to come into your life to transform you and to give you a new heart. Would you do that with me right there? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, just pray this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I believe he took my sin, my shame, my past And he gives me a new heart in exchange. A heart that loves you. A heart that longs for you. A heart that desires you. Lord Jesus, this is what I want. And so I give you all of myself. From the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Take all of me. Use me for your kingdom, for your purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at CityChurchGTA. Thanks again for joining us.